0: Well, Merry Christmas. Christmas came early to the Gentry household yesterday. We're leaving town this week, Want to celebrate with Noble, and he made out like a bandit, let me assure you. You should have seen some of the things he got, but his favorite gift of the morning was actually his brother's rawhide chewy bone. If you're visiting, you should know that his brother is an 11-pound weenie dog, and uh, both of them yesterday chewed on the bone, so it was a good Christmas. It was a particularly romantic Christmas at the Gentry home. Lindsay and I Got each other a new toilet, so (laughs) nothing says Merry Christmas quite like a new toilet. Tonight we got the night of praise, 6 o'clock up here in the youth mission. It's going to be awesome. Breachin and the Lovey Band will lead some of our favorite Christmas songs, and I really hope that you'll be here for that. It's at 6 o'clock tonight, and you'll hear more about that in a minute. And then next week, I want to preview next week. Next week, Chris is going to preach a great sermon about who we are and looking forward. It's a great sermon to move into the new year, and Russ will be showing his annual year-in-review video, so it's an awesome week to invite somebody because they'll get to see what Highland's about, and it's also a good week moving into the new year to start something new with somebody, someone you're close to, so I encourage you to invite them next week. And then lastly, and this is a sad note, many of you know sweet Alice Jackson. Alice Jackson is a wonderful woman. She Gives me paydays, candy bars, after I do good on Sunday, and I don't always get a a payday after I preach. Yesterday, Alice fell and broke her hip, and so she's going to have surgery either right now or in the morning, and so I want to pray for her leading into the sermon, and we'll begin. We'll be in Luke 2. That's where we'll start after this, Luke 2 and verse 1. Will Will you pray with me? God, I am so grateful for this season. I'm grateful for the reminder that you took on flesh. You became Jesus of Nazareth, the boy born to Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem. That you took on flesh, God, is the reason that we know you understand what it means to feel pain and to be broken. And we pray, God, for your healing hands to be on Alice and those caring for her now. God, we know that it's because you took on flesh that you understand what it means to have a wound that needs healing, and so we pray, God, that as the great physician, you'll heal her. And God, I pray that you um, enable us to be instruments of your healing, to bring the good news of Emmanuel, God, with us in the form of Jesus. We know that, God, you're still with us in the form of your spirit, and we pray that we, by the power of that spirit, take that good news into all the world. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered a census. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to their towns to be registered. All went to their towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and he was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Every night before bed, we read Noble a book or two, and one of the books that we read is called On the Night You Were Born. It goes like this. On the night you were born, the moon smiled with such wonder that the stars peeked in to see you, and the night wind whispered your name, life will never be the same, because there'd never been anyone like you ever in the world. So enchanted with you were the wind and the rain that they whispered the sound of your wonderful name. It sailed through the farmland high on the breeze, over the ocean and through the trees until everyone heard it and everyone knew of the one and only ever you. When the polar bears heard, they danced until dawn. From faraway places, the geese flew home. So whenever you doubt just how special you are, and you wonder who loves you, how much, how far, listen for geese honking high in the sky. They're singing a song to remember you by. Or notice the bears asleep at the zoo. It's because they've been dancing all night for you. Or drift off to sleep to the sound of the wind. Listen closely. It's whispering your name again. Now, I don't know if that's an outright lie, I suppose polar bears could have danced together the night Noble was born. I, I, I just haven't heard any reports of such. I know the polar bears at the Memphis Zoo weren't dancing because currently our male polar bear, Peyton, is depressed. Bear keepers told us they might have to put him on Prozac. So we seriously need to be in prayer for our Memphis polar bears because we know God has been answering our prayers for our Memphis grizzlies. Can I get an amen? Amen. Dancing bears, a smiling moon, a smiling moon wind singing his name. If I were writing Luke, telling the story of the birth of Jesus, the Lord, the Savior, the Christ entering the world to save it, that is the way I'd have told the story. A world altering moment when the cosmos were so dramatically tipped on their edge that suddenly animals were dancing and the wind had an audible voice and shooting stars flashed across the sky, and the earth shook like thunder. And crowds watched in delight as Jesus took his first breath. And women commented on how Mary doesn't even look like she just had a baby, and dads lifted Joseph on their shoulders and carried him through the streets of Bethlehem, and Facebook photos went viral, and a festival broke out right there in Bethlehem, a party like this earth has never seen. That's the kind of birth a Savior, the Lord, deserves, and that's the way I would have told it. But it's not what he gets. In fact, the description of Jesus' birth is so brief and so simple, you can almost miss it. It's two sentences. In Greek, it's one sentence. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Two sentences is all we get. Having been present in a delivery room, I can tell you two sentences doesn't come close to doing a birth justice. I couldn't describe my son Noble's birth well enough in a hundred sentences. It would take me hours to describe being woken in the middle of the night. Jumping in the car, grabbing our bags, calling our parents. The nurse, who never left our side all night long, she was the heroine that night, there's no doubt about it. The, out, the monitors watching every heartbeat, Lindsay's and Nobles. Family in the waiting room, tears, pushing, absolute overwhelming exhaustion, The first glimpse of Noble, a medical team wheeling all around us, parents outside in the waiting room just a few feet away, terrified that he wasn't breathing, hearing his cry, Lindsay holding him against her chest, my face numb, realizing I had gritted my teeth during the whole delivery. Him taken to the nursery, us collapsing. The most terrifying few moments of complications afterwards, screams, absolute terror, tears, blood transfusions, exhaustion, and sleep and then holding him again, feeding him, trying to soothe him, not soothing him, terrified we aren't prepared for this, never happier, delirious. But here it's just Mary and Joseph, and they're alone. There's no nurses, there's no midwife. Mary's just a girl, practically. She's a teenager. You know, Joseph might be a little older, but this is not something he's done before. Can you imagine? There's no dads in the waiting room. There's no moms holding Mary's hand. There's no ice chips to chew on. There are sheep and goats and maybe a mule. You know, there's nothing sterile in that room. There's no nursing specialists to come around afterwards. What about blood levels, fluid levels? There's no diapers. There's no nursery. There's no family. There's no party. There's no singing. And there's no dancing polar bears. You know, the birth of Jesus is hard. And lonely. It's uncelebrated and unnoticed by the rest of the world. Now, it's significant to Mary and Joseph. They have just brought their first child into the world. But it seems totally insignificant to everyone and everything else in the whole world in that moment. I can't get that out of my mind. I keep thinking about it. And it may be that I'm thinking about it because it's Christmas time and I'm reading Luke 2 a lot. And I'm preparing to preach on Luke 2, so I'm reading Luke 2 a lot. But it's also coming to mind in times I wouldn't expect. Like the other day, I was sitting in the rectory of St. Anne's Catholic Church over on Highland, near where the old building used to be. I was in a dimly lit room, sitting around a dining table with kind of an odd assortment of people. It was a Catholic priest at the head of the table in his 40s, a group of middle-aged women, an older woman, the sweet grandmother type, and an older man with thin, graying, white, almost, hair. His hands are calloused, his knuckles are raised up off his fingers. And I've gotten to know him over the last few months. I've gotten to know all of them. We're learning to pray together, and that's a story I can share another time. But particularly, I've gotten to know him. He's kind of revealed a little bit more of himself every time we're together. And it's, there's something sad about his story. He's estranged from a, gro- a grown son, doesn't talk much with the rest of the family. He's kind of one of those guys who says what he feels, doesn't feel much point in holding back, spends his time in retirement doing carpentry in a shop. That's his outlet. He goes out to his shop and works all day, comes in, doesn't talk much to other people, kind of gruff. You can say his life's hard, lonely. And you might say, well, some of it's his own fault. Maybe it is. Some of it he's inherited. I've listened to him. On this day a couple of weeks ago, just before Thanksgiving, he was talking about his wife. And from what I can tell, she is his exact opposite. Outgoing, never met a stranger. And he said, my wife keeps inviting more and more people to our home for Thanksgiving. He said, they're, well, they're difficult people. She keeps asking another one, and I think, well, why did you go and invite them? They're going to complain about the sweet potatoes or the corn casserole, he said, or they'll complain about where they're seated at the table, and no one's going to have anything to talk to them about. I just kept telling her to stop it. Enough is enough. Stop it already. And then, Father, because he was talking to the priest at the head of the table then, he he said, Father, then I read the text for this Sunday. It's in Ezekiel. You know the one I'm talking about. The one about how God goes looking for these sheep who've been scattered because of a storm, these sheep who ran because they were scared of the thunder. He said, God goes and he finds all these sheep and he says, I'm going to bring you back to eat in my pasture where it's safe. And then he pulled out his Bible and he said, let me just read it. He said, it ends like this. I'll seek the lost. I'll bring back the strayed. And I'll bind up the injured and I'll strengthen the weak. But the fat and the strong I'll destroy. I'll feed them with justice. And he looked up, and my old friend was teary eyed. He said, Those are the sheep my wife keeps inviting for Thanksgiving the lost, the strayed, the injured, and the weak. And he said, And I am the fat and strong one standing in the way, and he buried his face in his hands and said, Lord, have mercy. And right at that moment, I thought about two sentences from Luke 2. I don't know why. I looked over his shoulder, and there were no polar bears dancing. There was no marching band. There was no heavenly hallelujah chorus singing behind him. It was quiet, but right then, I thought about two sentences at the beginning of Luke 2, two exhausted parents and a little baby laying in a manger. So I look back at the text. I look back at Luke 2 because I feel like God is leading me somewhere, but I'm just not sure about it. And I look back at Luke 2, and in verse 1, a name jumps out at me, Augustus Caesar, Emperor Augustus. You know him. Now, he's the guy who's responsible for the Christmas story as we know it because of the power he had at his hand. He's the guy with the snap of his finger can say, let's take a census of the whole world, and suddenly nobodies like Mary and Joseph have to get up from their hometowns and travel miles to a whole other town when they're about to have a baby, where they arrive to a bunch of people from all over the rest of the empire who have taken all the rooms at the end, a bunch of other nobodies, and they're lucky to find themselves a place out in the barn, right? Out in the stable. Augustus Caesar was power incarnate. He spoke words, and the whole world, the text says had to get up and move. That's what Luke 2 is saying. So there right at the beginning is Augustus Caesar and Jesus side by side. And they're begging for comparison. Only there is no comparison. There is none. You know how Augustus Caesar became Augustus Caesar? You know why he's not scared of two sentences and a baby born in Bethlehem? Because he was one of three Roman emperors who shared power in the Roman world. Each had their own section, but that wasn't good enough for him. He was Octavian then. So he launches this brutal civil war that ends after hundreds of thousands of men die. One emperor is exiled, and the other, Mark Antony, along with Cleopatra, famously commits suicide. And then he becomes the sole emperor of the Roman world. So he changes his name to Augustus, which means the one who is divine, or the one who's to be Worshiped. There are whole books written about his civil war, the birth of his Roman Empire, whole books. And Jesus, his birth, gets two sentences. Augustus Caesar had all of the power in the world. And Mary and Joseph and Jesus have absolutely none. You see, it's not only that the birth of Jesus is uncelebrated and unnoticed. Remember, no dancing polar bears. It's not only that it's hard and lonely. Remember, this is a birth all alone. It's that in that moment, Mary and Joseph have to realize that there is nothing they can do to change their situation. You know, Caesar has the power to tell everybody in the whole world to get up and move and Mary and Joseph don't have the power to ask anybody to move rooms so that they don't have to stay outside where they have a baby. Caesar wouldn't have done it like that. But God does. God does. What does that tell me about God? Now, What does Luke want us to know about God by putting these two sentences in the shadow of this titan of power, Augustus Caesar? What does God want us to know about these two sentences of two very tired parents with no family to lean on, nobody to call, no money to leverage, no person to rely on in their time of need? What does God want us to know about himself? I'm not sure. But I know that despite my resistance to that scene, despite your resistance to that scene, you know, despite our desire to always be cast as Caesar in our own life, right, to always have all the power we need, Despite our desire to at least be somebody who gets a room at the inn, or better yet, somebody who gets to stay in his own hometown and sleep in his own bed. You know, despite my desire to not have a family issue that causes public embarrassment like this does for Joseph. Or despite my desire to not have a medical issue like a child that changes my five-year plan as dramatically as this does for Mary. Despite my fear of facing a hard medical moment or a hard season, or my fear of being forgotten, or my hard work going unnoticed, or my fear of being all alone. Despite all of that, I learned something in two sentences. For it's in Joseph and Mary's most uncelebrated moment, when they are totally unnoticed. It's in one of the hardest and loneliest moments of their life, when they have absolutely no power over their own situation. It's in that moment that God is most fully present in the world and in their lives. That is the moment in which God begins the most incredible, redemptive, salvific work in all of history and for all eternity right then. That can change the way you think about your life. Can change what you notice and what you don't notice. It begins to make you wonder. You wonder what it means, what God is up to when an old man opens his home and his table for Thanksgiving when previously he wouldn't have. There was no marching band there. There were no dancing polar bears. And aside from the few of us he told, and now you all, not another soul in this world knows about that. It is totally uncelebrated. It's unnoticed. But after reading these sentences, you've got to wonder. If God wasn't up to something, if maybe God wasn't present in that moment in a way that will someday topple empires and lift up the lowly and give light to those in darkness because it was in a moment just like that that Jesus began to do just those things. Mary in Luke 1 thanks God as she heads into this moment, even as her belly is growing with this child inside her. As she anticipates the moment of his arrival, she says that this is the moment in which God will bring down the powerful from their thrones and lift up the lowly, she says. And Zechariah just before Jesus is born, prays and he says that God's sunlight is breaking on the earth. That the dawn is rising over the horizon, the tender mercy of our God. Our salvation is here or there in a manger, unnoticed. And later in Luke 2, this one moment causes angels to break into a heavenly chorus in the fields outside of Bethlehem, and they're singing about good news of great joy for all the people, for to you is born this day a Savior in the city of David, who is the Messiah, the Lord. It turns out, that this one moment which is summarized on earth in two sentences is in fact so expansive that the heavens can't contain it. And so you begin to wonder about other moments just like that in your life. You wonder. You wonder about the crisis in your family or the bills that you can't pay. Some of you are wondering about your daughter's boyfriend. You're worrying about your son's anger. Young people, you're worried because college applications are due and you can't seem to make that score on your ACT that you need. Some of you are worried because your parents are fighting. There's talk of divorce, new apartments. You can't sleep at night. feels like you have no one to talk to. Some of you wonder because you're getting passed over at work. You're not getting the promotion you deserve. Your work always gets overlooked for somebody else. Some of you wonder because your mother is slipping away to dementia, and your weariness is trumped only by your love and your grief and you wonder. But it's then that you remember two sentences at the beginning of Luke. It's then that you remember it was in a situation just like this that God began to do just those things to save you. That God, in a moment like this, entered this world to save you, and that maybe in this moment in your life, he's doing it again. And what may go unnoticed on earth is sending shockwaves through heaven. You wonder. I know I wonder. I wonder because just the other day, it was a Tuesday at Highland, and Buddy and Karen Dover walked into our doors. I saw them coming in the parking lot. Their hands were full of brown bags. Some of you may not know Buddy and Karen. If you don't, know, they're incredible people, and Buddy right now is fighting cancer. Okay, the cancer has been terrible, and the treatments have maybe been worse. Buddy loves to fish, and for the first few years that I was here, Buddy was always coming up to me on Sunday and saying, We need to go out and fish, Eric. And I'd say, Yeah, let's do it soon. He'd say, I've got this little place we'll put out in the John boat. We will catch us some. We kept talking about it, and we never did it. You know, Buddy's not doing a lot of fishing now. Buddy's fighting for his life. And Karen. if There's an angel in this world. It's Karen Dover. who's caring for Buddy so faithfully at his side through all of this. And I know that there have got to be moments when they feel totally unnoticed. This is without a doubt the hardest season of their life, the loneliest season of their life. And there's got to be these moments when they feel like the world doesn't recognize them, it's insignificant to everybody else, and they're all alone. There's got to be those moments. But you wonder, because I learned that after they walked by the offices, they dropped off those brown bags, they came by the office and the staff got together around them and prayed, and then they left, and it was only after that that I learned those brown bags they had dropped off were feet of family sacks so that some needy families in Memphis could have Thanksgiving dinner. Are you serious? They're fighting for their lives? It's hard, it's lonely, it's uncelebrated, and they deliver feed of family sacks? If that is not the kind of moment that will ultimately bring peace on earth. If that is not God invading the world when life is hard and lonely, then I don't know what is. Again, I didn't see any polar bears or shooting stars, but I did sense Jesus present. Emmanuel, God with us. God with Buddy and Karen. Maybe it's the little moments. Maybe it's the hard ones. Unnoticed and uncelebrated, the times when we feel most desperate and most powerless. Maybe it's those moments when God is most powerful. Maybe it's those moments in which Jesus is coming into this world again and again to save you, to save us, to save us all. And if that's the case... And may we have the courage to travel to Bethlehem, to go out to the stable expecting a hard night, all alone, and even then still have the courage to say, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. We're going to worship together today. If you haven't given your life to this Jesus born in a manger who lived a life on this earth and died for you, it might seem insignificant. To take him on in baptism in this water behind me may seem like an unnoticed moment, but what if it's sending shockwaves through heaven? I hope you'll consider it. Will you stand with me as we sing together? Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant.